this morning. Thank you, Lord, just for um, just for the love that you've given to us in Christ. And Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would help us by being our teacher as we share the word of God with one another. You inspired the scriptures and you gave life to our hearts. So please use your word to change us, make us more into what you want us to be. May you be honored and lifted up, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may know that my wife and uh, son and I uh, had the great joy of adopting our little girl, uh, Brittany. And uh, it was a very interesting experience for our family the week that we were going to go and pick her up from the adoption agency that we were working with. Uh, Our assignment was to think of a name that we wanted to name our little girl. And so we were going back and forth, and uh, uh, I wanted Carissa, and Faye wanted Brittany. And, uh, you know, there are like 15,000 names. I mean, we went through books and names and all that kind of stuff. Tried to do a cadence, you know, what would go good with Rowan and all that kind of thing. So we couldn't decide between Carissa and Brittany. So we said, well, let's just go to the adoption agency and maybe the Lord will, will help us then. So we went to the adoption agency and it was time for us to sign all the papers. And then the social worker said, and what will her name be? And uh, so I asked her, I said, well, what did her birth mother name her? And she said, well, her birth mother named her Brittany. And I looked at my wife and I thought, you win. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think every one of us knows that it's really not the name that means so much to a family, but it's, it's, at least in our situation, it's the significance of her name. It always reminds us that she has a connection to her birth mother who gave her life, but she has a connection with our family who nurtured her and helped her to grow and mature as a young woman. We are in the Advent series that surveys the names given to Jesus. Um, are you aware of all the names that are behind us projected? Isn't that gorgeous, the way that that's been done for us? I didn't realize that there were so many names. I don't know that Al remembered that there were so many names either. But as he went and researched them, we found all these names of Jesus. And that's one of the things that motivated us in our Advent devotional to pick a devotional that would name the names of Jesus and help us to reflect upon the significance of those names during the Advent season. I hope you have an Advent devotional. If you don't, we still have some available that you can purchase for us today. Last week, if you read the outline of my sermon that I wasn't able to deliver in person, but I put it on the web page, I posted it on the web page, and uh, you can even go on it and look at it and review it now if you'd like, or not now, after church, and uh, review it. But I talked about the significance of the name King that is given to Jesus. And uh, Jesus can rightfully be named King because he rules the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated in the life and ministry of Jesus, and he reigns in the hearts of those who trust him and make him Lord of their lives. There's also a time in the future 
when he will come and reign on this earth. That's where we get some of the texts for the, the hymn, A Joy to the World, the Lord has come. If you look at the, the verses of that hymn, you'll find, um, No more let sin and sorrow cease. Uh, he, he rules the world with peace. And that's talking about the second coming of Jesus and the rule of him in his kingdom. And then as God uh, leads after the kingdom on earth is done, then it transitions in to the eternal kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth, which is a return to the kingdom of God that was in the Garden of Eden. And then forever we'll have the new Garden of Eden, the kingdom of God in the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus is the king. And uh, we know that that gives us hope because as the Christmas hymn says, the wrong shall fail the right will prevail. Doesn't that give you hope? It gives us hope that there will be a day when finally there's going to be righteousness in the rule on the kingdom on earth. Today we focus on our second Advent theme, which is peace. And uh, as we saw and heard as we lit the Advent candles this morning, there are lots of different ways that you can think about peace. There's the absence of conflict. And at Christmas, we wish one another peace in their relationships. We pray for the nations to be at peace with one another. Peace is also expressed as inner tranquility. The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, really talks about wholeness. It talks about how our whole lives are integrated with one another so that there's, there's a peace in our emotions, in our spirits, in the, the inner part of our lives, and, and the wholeness that we have, how God offers us peace. And we talk about that in the Christmas. We, we, we think about uh, times of tranquility. Um, we think about sitting in front of a fire. Uh, roasting chestnuts. Any of you ever done that? I mean, I've never done that. I've never heard of anybody that does that. But it's in the song. Uh, oh yeah, we've got some in the back that have done it. Is it fun? Is it good? Are they good? <laughs> but you know, doesn't that image just make you feel calm and peace? We we wish calm and peace at Christmas as well. But there's another kind of peace that I want to talk about today, and that's having peace with God. This means spiritual rest. It means rest from the guilt that we feel when we're confronted with our sinful failures. It means rest from the embarrassment and shame when we're reminded of our sinfulness. And most importantly, it means deliverance from the wrath of God and rest from the fear and uncertainty that comes in a world that wonders of their eternal destiny. God came to give us in this season a reminder that he offers us salvation peace. He offers us peace with God. To explore this uh, peace, we turn to Isaiah chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Isaiah chapter 7. And I'd like to explore another name for Jesus. And I'd like to suggest that this name for Jesus engenders peace to us if we trust in him. I've suggested these names because 
Jesus is Emmanuel is more than a name that we use to call Jesus to dinner. <laughs> There's a meaning. There's a significance. There is an underlying, well, an underlying fulfillment that comes with this name for Jesus. In order to stand, um, uh, understand these the significance, uh, the context of Isaiah chapter seven is important to understand. Um, Isaiah chapter seven verse one, all the way through nine seven, is a cohesive unit, and so. Uh, as you have a theme that's introduced in chapter 7, that same application goes all the way up through chapter 9, verse 7, which we'll finish next Sunday. But the, uh, the context is the history of the southern kingdom, Judah, and the king is Ahaz, the king of Judah. And he's in the midst of a national crisis. The national crisis is that there's an emerging superpower called Assyria, to the east. And they are, they are rising up and they are devouring all of the little nations around them. Well, they were headed towards the promised land. And so Syria, which is just north of, the, of Israel, and the northern kingdom um, rallied together and they formed an alliance to stand against Assyria. And so they think it would be really helpful if Judah would join them. So they go down to King Ahaz and they say, Ahaz, why don't you join with us and we can stand against Assyria? Well, Ahaz didn't want to do that. He had a different idea. He decided, well, I think I'm just going to go and hook up with Assyria because they're going to win anyway. I might as well make an alliance with the one that's going to win. So he made up his mind that he was going to align himself and become an ally with this godless, secular nation, Assyria, that had idol worship, that had, had all of these terrible um, spiritual blasphemy things that happened. And uh, he decided, that's where I'm going to find my security. Well, he, uh, he decided he was going to do that. And, of course, Syria and the northern kingdom didn't like this. So they attacked him. And so he was dealing with the two nations in the, in the, head of the, the north of him. And uh, um, God said, wait a minute, Ahaz. I want, want you to trust me. I want you to know that I will deliver you from Assyria. I will, I will give you salvation from Assyria. Don't align yourself with this secular godless nation. I will deliver you from them. Ahaz refused. We have his story in chapter 7, verses 10 to 14, and I'll read it. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. By the way, if you want to find a proof text to support your own selfish decision in the Bible, you can find one. Remember Satan had a proof test when he was testing Jesus in the wilderness? That's exactly what Ahaz did. 
he already made up his mind. You can read about his decisions in Second Chronicles. He already aligned himself with Assyria. And God came to him and said, don't do it. Ask me for a sign that will prove that I will deliver you from Assyria. And Ahaz already made up his mind and said no. So then Isaiah comes to him. Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God offered Ahaz a sign, which was like a promise of deliverance. But in unbelief, Ahaz said, I'm not interested. And in response to this blatant rejection of God's grace, here's what I find incredible. God gave him the sign anyway. God gave him the sign. Even when Ahaz was saying, I don't want your sign. I've made up my mind. I'm going the secular route. God gave him a sign anyway. A virgin will give birth to a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, there will be a woman who has never been with a man. text doesn't tell us who that is. Uh, There's been a lot of theories about who that was. All we know is that there will be a miraculous birth as a sign to Ahaz. And this miracle will say to him, if God is able to do that, certainly he's able to deliver you from the Assyrians, which he did, as uh, Isaiah outlines, and we've already done a sermon on that last spring. Well, later in this prophecy, remember I suggested to you that Isaiah uh, 7 goes all the way through 9 as a unit. In this unit, we find out that not only is there a, a, a fulfillment of this prophecy in the day of Ahaz, there's also a future fulfillment. There is a fulfillment in the future that gives this sign, Emmanuel, a future referent. And if you look at some of the passages in Isaiah, you'll find that there has to be a future referent to this name Emmanuel. Chapter 8, verse 8. One who will possess the land. Well, who can possess the land but the king of the land? He will defeat the opponents of God. Chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And the verse tells us, because God is with us, Emmanuel. He will appear in Galilee of the Gentiles, chapter 9, verse 1. He will be a great light to those in the land of the shadow of death, specifically the area occupied by Zebulun and Naphtali, which are the northern parts of the northern kingdom, which were the first to fall to the Assyrians. And he is a child called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, And we're going to talk about each of those four names next Sunday. And the government will never end. And his reign will be the throne of David forever. Now that says that this child, Emmanuel, has got a future ministry, a future component to his life. And so we get to the New Testament 
And Matthew tells us, aha, that future ministry, that future component of Emmanuel is Jesus. Because Matthew tells us that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Matthew goes on in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, and he further identifies Jesus with the Isaiah prophecy by saying, Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area Zebulun, Naphtali, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah. And these words should sound familiar. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light dawned, directly quoted from Isaiah. So Matthew makes it very clear that in the New Testament day, they see Jesus as a fulfillment of this name, Emmanuel. So this morning, I'd like to suggest to you this. Emmanuel, God with us, offers peace with God even when we might not be looking for it. You see, God offered Ahaz peace, didn't he? But Ahaz wasn't interested. But as an act of grace, God offered his peace anyway. God pursued Ahaz, even while Ahaz was resisting. God gave him Emmanuel, even though he refused to ask for him. And to our world, 2019, God is doing the same thing. He offers peace to a world that is not looking for him. Well, actually, our world is looking for peace, isn't it? Peace through self-medicating drugs, workaholism. Peace through accumulating things. Peace through reputation, education, accomplishment. But peace with God? Peace through Emmanuel, God with us? Our world isn't interested, is it? But God offers it anyway. And so to flesh out that idea, I'm going to real quickly take us to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. This is a powerful Emmanuel passage, even though the text doesn't use the name. Now, as you have your Bibles open to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, you'll notice that there are bookends to this passage. There's chapter 1, verse 1, and there's chapter 1, verse 14. Let me outline those for you. The first bookend is verse 1, where John says, In the beginning was the Word. Everyone, that's a very familiar passage. In the beginning, he always was. In the beginning, he was with God. In the beginning, he was God. And then verse 3, the Word created. Jesus created everything. And then verse 4, the word, the embodiment of light and life, shined in the darkness, shone in the darkness, which did not overcome it. So in the beginning was the word. That's the first bookend. The second bookend is verse 14, which says, the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. 
He came to be with us. This is the incarnation. The one who created the world came to live in it. God came to be with us and to offer us peace with God. C.S. Lewis gives a very interesting illustration of the incarnation and he he um, compares it to a master composer who composes a symphony. Um, when you think of symphony, I don't know if any of you like to listen to symphonies, but here's one that I think most of you will recognize, a Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And if you don't recognize it by the title, recognize it by these four notes. Bum, 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 bum. Everybody recognize those four notes? That's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. When Beethoven composed this symphony, he composed all kinds of wonderful melodies all kinds of wonderful harmonies, all kinds of rhythmic things, transition things, but that symphony is held together by those four notes. And when those four notes are incarnated in that symphony, now it all makes sense. And C.S. Lewis suggests that life It's a symphony. But there are four notes that need to happen in order for life to make sense. So Jesus writes the symphony, and then he writes himself in the symphony as those four notes. Jesus is bum, 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 bum. And now life makes sense. Because without those four notes, Beethoven's symphony makes no sense. With those four notes, makes perfect sense. Life without Jesus makes no sense. But Jesus himself wrote himself into his own symphony, giving sense to all of life. He offers the world is peace. And he came to bring peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. God came to be with us, to give us peace and make the world make sense. But now I want you to read with me verses 9 to 11 of chapter 1 of John's Gospel. Listen to this. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Does that sound familiar to you? The true light came into the world, offered his peace, offered his deliverance, but the world said, I'm not interested. He came to his own and they did not receive. Actually, the Gentiles didn't receive him either. But just like God did when he gave Emmanuel to Ahaz, so he offers God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
even though we were not looking for him. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember when they were nailing Jesus to the cross? They were nailing the, the, the nails through his wrists and his feet. Remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, by nailing him to the cross, they were saying, Jesus, we're not interested in you. We're not interested in what you came to give us. We're not interested in your love and your deliverance. And Jesus said, it's all right. I'm going to give it to you anyway. And he did. And he died on the cross. And he secured peace. The world rejected him. And Jesus said, I offer it anyway. And then John tells us in chapter 1, but to those who believe, there is a peace that comes from being born into his family. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. We become God's children, adopted into God's family forever. Nothing to do with natural descent, nothing to do with human decision, nothing to do with what we would do, everything to do with what Emmanuel did when he came to be with us. As Paul declares, when we are born of God, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, the offer that God gives to us stands. It is still there. To those who say, I'm not interested, God says, well, I offer it to you anyway. Some of us might have loved ones or neighbors or work associates who are saying, I'm not interested in Jesus. You know what God says to them? I offer it anyway. I will offer my God my grace to you until your last breath. It's never too late. Brothers and sisters, never stop praying for those you care about to come to faith in Christ. Because the offer remains. It will never be taken away. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Ahaz said, no, I'm not interested, God gave him the sign anyway. Anyway, when Jesus came to the earth, his own said, I'm not interested. He gave himself anyway, and he will continue to give himself for us. And you know what he will offer us? He will offer us peace with God. My friends, that's the message of Christmas. The reason why that offer is available is because God came to be with us. 
He paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. He offered us the gift of forgiveness, the promise of eternal life in heaven, everlasting life in the new heaven and the new earth. That's what we remember when we celebrate communion. Jesus gave his body on the cross. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to give us peace with God. And God, or through the Apostle Paul, there's a promise that says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again as king. That's the gospel. We are proclaiming that, yes, this offer is open, and we who receive these elements believe. We enter in to that new life that gives us peace. I'd like to ask those who are going to help us distribute the elements to come forward. Worship team, if you'd like to come back up and provide some music for us to meditate on as these elements are distributed. I'd like to remind you again that we celebrate, we distribute our elements both at the same time. We do have a gluten-free cracker in there, and uh, we encourage you to hold both of the elements until all are served, and we will partake together. But remember this. The offer is open. And if there's any doubt in your mind about whether you belong to Jesus, this is probably the best time possible for you to get that settled. And you can say, Lord Jesus, I haven't been interested, but now I realize that I am interested. And so I receive this wonderful gift that was given to me because of the sacrifice of Jesus' body, the shedding